Hello, once again, welcome to the Gratuitous Pausing Podcast. I'm your host, Alex Greyhawk. And I'm your co-host, Jackson Eflin. Thank you for joining us for match two of our sports bracket. This week, we will be discussing bobsledding film Cool Runnings from 1993, as well as cheerleading film Bring It On from 2000. And if I had not thought that cheerleading was a sport before starting this bracket, that movie would have convinced me. So, good on you, Bring It On. You brought it onwards. One thing when I was constructing the bracket, I did want to try and get as many films with female leads as possible. I think ended up getting like six or seven, which, you know, is not bad. That's almost 50%. Yeah. But we're not talking about Bring It On yet. We're talking about Cool Runnings. Get on up. It's bobsled time. Doris Bannock, a star 100-meter sprinter, fails to qualify for the 88 Summer Olympics after fellow competitor Junior Bevel trips and falls, eliminating himself, Doris, and a third Olympic hopeful, Yul Brenner. Doris pleads with the commission to rerun the race, but is denied. Undeterred, Doris seeks out an old friend of his father, Irv Blitzer, an American bobsledder, who years ago tried to recruit sprinters for a bobsled team, but has since retired and become a bookie. Doris and his friend Sanka Kofi, a champion pushcart racer, find Irv, and eventually convince him to coach them. But they still need two teammates. At the call-up meeting, the possibility of crashing scares all but two sprinters. Junior, who wants to rectify costing Doris his spot, and Yule, who will do anything to get off the island. The team overcomes many obstacles on their way to Calgary, from training, funding the trip, learning teamwork, and even animosity from other teams. After qualifying for the games, their first run is a disaster as the team chokes. Doris chastises the others for not taking this seriously, and they in turn criticize him for trying to make them sled like the other teams, not as Jamaicans. Afterwards, the team pulls together and their second run is significantly better. However, on their third and final run, disaster strikes. Their secondhand sled breaks, causing them to crash. Unharmed and undeterred, the four men carry the sled across the finish line to the applause of a global audience. So this is perhaps an even more feel-good movie than Eddie the Eagle? I mean, it is a Disney film. (laughs) <laughs> that's true sorry so I'm excited for the live action remake we're gonna get in the next uh, decade or so when is there gonna be a cool running stage in Kingdom Hearts <laughs> uh. so this is a really like fun energetic film but it doesn't feel hollow like all these characters feel real and fleshed out they just also happen to have a lot of energy and spunk mm-hmm. and part of that I think is leaning into the sort of Musical, happy-go-lucky Jamaican stereotype. That is outside my lane to comment on, but uh, just putting it out there. Hmm. Part of it is also that this is an underdog story that resonated with lots and lots of people in 88. Same with Eddie the Eagle. They were at the Olympics the exact same year. Both of these are based off of a true story. People love a good underdog story. It makes sense that this is just really fun and it's got lots of heart. Yeah. And while I agree that there is that the kind of happy-go-lucky Jamaican stereotype, I think the characters have enough variety that it's, it doesn't seem like that's their only trait. Sanka, that is kind of his like biggest thing of this laid-back attitude and, and excitement. But Doris is far more optimistic and forward-thinking. Junior is contemplative and melancholic, and Yule is much more clear. Oh, they're the Ninja Turtles. Yes. <laughs> I don't have anything beyond that. Just there. Whenever you have a group of four individuals, you can always group them by who is what Ninja Turtle. <laughs> That's how that works. I, you're not wrong. Doris is Leonardo. Sanka is Michelangelo. Junior is Donatello. And Yule is Raphael. Wow. Yeah. And I guess that makes Irv Splinter. <laughs> I would love to see John Candy play Splinter. 
So I didn't really know John Candy before this film, but you were hyping him up. So and he was really good in this. I love John Candy. I miss his comedy stylings very much. And I think he does a great job in this film. I do think that overall, they give him a little bit too much screen time and his plot a little bit too much importance. And it kind of sucks some of the life out of the story of the Jamaican bobsled team. Mm -hmm. Especially since all of that is fictionalized. There's no possible way there could have been a American gold medalist at the time because the last time the Americans won the gold medal in bobsled was like in the 1920s. Mm -hmm. I can't believe that John Candy is an immortal. <laughs> but I do think that this movie nails the, its ensemble cast and it balances it really well, which is a thing that lots of films struggle with, especially sports films where you have to kind of juggle an entire team. Here, it's a bit smaller, so it's a bit easier. Mm -hmm. But everyone gets some kind of arc. Darius mm -hmm. is kind of the focal character. He's the protagonist of the narrative, but everyone else still gets to have their own stories, their own growth. Mm -hmm. And they do that thing where you have the red Oni and the blue Oni, and they clash and then grow together as kind of an easy in for developments. So Junior is the blue Oni. He's very melancholic. He's kind of having trouble standing up to his dad, who's rich and wants him to go into transponstering or whatever in an office. And then Yule really, really wants to get off of the island and is very unhappy with things, but he slowly grows to care about the people around him, and it's very heartwarming. Mm -hmm. There's a very good scene where Yule helps Junior get psyched up by staring in the mirror and saying, I see pride. I see power. I see a badass mother who don't take no crap of nobody. I love that mantra. There are times where I have used that and it's just so good and so useful. Saying those words out loud about yourself, you cannot not feel empowered. Mm -hmm. And I like how it doesn't just happen there, but it comes back when like a senior, is that his dad's name? I guess. Sure. Yeah. When senior comes to be like, junior, you can't do the Olympics. You're going to be a banker by gum. And Junior happens to see his reflection in the elevator behind his dad, and it prompts him to have the gumption to go on. I am not a lost little boy, father. I am a man, and I'm an Olympian, and I'm staying right here. Uh, that also, the initial scene of Yule teaching Junior that, that mantra then finishes with junior going out and starting a fight with the east germany team at a bar well you have perhaps too much spunk <laughs> and he of course gets it over his head yule has to pull him out and then sanka who is like flirting with some of the local women on the dance floor he's having a hoot nanny yeah he's learning how to square dance mm -hmm. realizes what's going on and he jumps in too and it's just this great team building moment uh, unfortunately Therese is not there because you know he's responsible and learning all the turns on the course yeah he's meditating so he can contact the spirit of john candy <laughs> and so their coach irv and darius both chew them out afterwards mm -hmm. now maybe you haven't noticed but we aren't exactly winning any popularity contests here also just while we're talking about things that involve yule and the hotel there's a bit where yule talks shit about sanka for reading a comic book because it's a it's a comic book. And like, what are you talking about reading? This is a children's book. Saga has a great retort. Well, if that's a children's book, that means it's too advanced for the likes of you. <laughs> Which is really fun. But he's reading a Hulk book, and later when Yule has that kind of, I'm the strong one here, he's wearing a green shirt and purple pants. Yes. And there's a couple seeds where you see it, and I just, I like that subtle nod to the Hulk throughout. Mm-hmm. It's very good. This film is having fun, and 
it is more formalist than realist, and I'm very okay with that. Mm -hmm. We've been focusing a lot on Yule, but there's one other thing that I want to touch on. So at some point, all of them start talking about their dreams, what they hope to accomplish. And (laughs) I love this part. And Yule pulls out a picture. He's like, I live right down there. Then he shows it to everyone and everyone starts laughing. And they're like, we're laughing about. That's Buckingham Palace. You plan on living there, you're going to have to marry the queen. And I like that it, it shows his vulnerability and naivete and that kind of, it gives him depth. Mm-hmm. A lot of this movie is very funny. I have a variety of just like quotes I found funny in here, but the kind of standout for me is how Sanka makes fun of, of the Swedish team of uh, regimented practice routine. They're very good at what they're doing with his bobsledding. And he's like, if one of those Swiss boys ever come across a pretty girl, he'd probably yell, I'm fly, try, and try to push her down some ice. Even though the film has a somewhat bittersweet ending, the levity of it makes it, it doesn't feel grim. It feels like they're going to bounce back from this. So I don't Mm -hmm. feel particularly sad even as they're failing. Yeah, and there's a brief note at the end that they go back four years later to compete again in bobsled. In fact, the Jamaicans did continue to go back. Actually, I believe until 2010, 2014, they were competing in the men's four-man bobsled. Good. I believe... Just this past year, 2018, there was a uh, women's four-person bobsled team from Jamaica as well. Awesome. That's what I want. I want the uh, Cool Runnings Ghostbusters 2016 re- uh, style <laughs> remake. But it's still set in the 80s. I will say, fun movie, there aren't really a lot of women in it. No, we do have some strong characters, though. Uh, Doris has a love interest at the beginning of the film who's very supportive of him. And there's also Sanka's mother. And as soon as they are determined to go to the Olympics, they are behind them 100%. We also get cuts over to Sanka's mother's restaurant where a bunch of people are all huddling together to watch the Olympics on TV and they've got like their own chalkboard where they're keeping score and we see all these people cheering for them. Mm-hmm. This movie makes good use of it at the Olympics to have the audience watching things happen thing to help us, the audience, figure out what's going on. Mm-hmm. Speaking of thinking about what's going on, their first run, I was like, oh, this isn't very well shot. Unfortunately, it hasn't aged very well. But then as they get better, the filming of the bobsledding gets better, which is a, a really cool cinematography thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like there are definitely some issues. Like there's also this one scene where Therese is watching the Swedes during the Olympic qualifiers. They're considered the best in the world, the team to beat for this year. And there's just a lot of slow-mo, and that scene is very long. Honestly, they probably could have cut a little bit of that to shore up some of the weaker parts of the film elsewhere. Sure. Yeah. I don't remember what you're talking about, so while I trust you, I feel like that's a thing that I'm going to notice on rewatches. This is my first time watching it, so Mm -hmm. yeah. Another thing is they initially qualify for the Olympics, and then they get a letter saying that they are disqualified for whatever reason. I can't remember if it's like, oh, their time wasn't fast enough or what the official excuse was, but it's very obvious that the actual reason is because the commission governing them has a vendetta against Irving for cheating all those years ago in the Olympics. And when Irv goes to confront them about it, he gives this very heartfelt speech about why they should compete and why they should be able to have the honor of representing their country. And it this shouldn't be about what he did and his mistakes years ago. This should be about them. They were in the right to march into that stadium and wave their nation's flag. That's the single greatest honor an athlete could ever have. That's what the Olympics 
are about? 16 years ago, I forgot that. Don't you go and do the same. It's one of those, like, really great heartwarming speeches about, it's not about win or lose, it's about the the opportunity to compete and show what you're made of. It's a sports movie staple, and I just love that trope, and it's very well executed here. I agree that it was very well executed. However, I feel like that scene didn't need to be there. I don't know if it's like a historical thing or what, but I feel like they introduced a problem, the being disqualified, and then Earth fixed the problem in the next scene or two. And I'm not sure that it really went anywhere. I'm not sure if the characters changed. We, we're seeing how Irv has changed, which is really good. I mean, it's a good speech, mm-hmm. all that jazz. And it hammers home the inherent racism of the narrative because of how the entire board is white. But I feel like it, in terms of film structure, it didn't do much for me. It's not a bad scene, and I mean, I'm okay with scenes that are just there to add more texture to the world, but I think there could have been a bit of change to make that more narratively integral. Mm -hmm. I think part of it is also just, again, the film spends a little bit too much time on Irving and all of his things, as opposed to on the Jamaican team. Mm -hmm. Honestly, I think that's probably my biggest criticism of the film. Yeah. I also really love the point where kind of everything comes together and they're finally all working as one unit, as a team. And instead of imitating the Swedes with their countdown, it's a callback to Sanka's call out for the push cart race at the very beginning of the film. And it's feel the rhythm. It's such this crowning moment of everything coming together. It's just really great and really heartwarming. And it's just this perfect encapsulation of we came here to represent Jamaica. We're not trying to sled like all these other racers. We're going to sled like Jamaicans. Sanka, I think, has the least change over the film, but I'm okay with that because it's clear that he is a fixed point that the characters can revolve around and react to, and I think that's really important to have in an ensemble narrative. Mm-hmm. I really like that, and I really like the way he doesn't become less eccentric. Like, I like that he keeps his lucky egg. Mm-hmm. The uh, last run of the film, he actually gets Yule to kiss his lucky egg. <laughs> yes, I forgot about that. Oh. Uh, he's the gonzo of the team. <laughs> he is. Definitely. I think I am ready to move on to Bring It On. Oh, Bring It On. Okay, so this is one of those gay cult classics that I also hadn't seen. So I understand now. I get it. (laughs) So Bring It On from 2000. Torrance, a cheerleader, is elected head of her squad, the Toros, but clashes with her viziers when she backs Missy Pantone, a sarcastic punk who is just transferred into school, to fill the empty slot on the team. Things go from bad to worse when Missy realizes that their cheers are stolen from the Clovers, an underprivileged school about half a day's right away. The Clovers are upset that Torres' predecessor, Big Red, regularly videotaped their practices and used them to win at regionals, knowing that the Clovers would never make it to regionals because they didn't have the money to go. Unable to convince the team not to do an appropriation, they wind up doing a Clover cheer at a football game, only for the Clovers to show up and call them out publicly. With no choice but to do a new routine and no time to make a new one, they hire a truly repugnant trainer. They perform the routine he gives them only to find out that six other teams are doing the same routine. They're allowed to nationals on a technicality where they'll face the Clovers. During all of this, Missy has begun to warm up to cheerleading and Torrance has warmed up to Missy's brother. After the debacle at regionals, she considers resigning as captain, egged on by her boyfriend, but decides to resign him instead. The team studies every form of death they can, ballroom, martial arts, mime, and ghost nationals, where Torrance and the Clover captain, Isis, 
find some mutual respect and take home second and first trophies respectively. Torrance makes out with Missy's brother and they do some death numbers. So this was the first time watching this film for both of us. Yeah. It's a lot. It is like peak 90s. It really is. For those of uh, you who are too young to remember, the 90s didn't really end until 9-11. That is the default turning point. Things are distinctly different now. This movie is definitely part of the catty high school girls movie trend that led up to Mean Girls. Yes. This film is even parodied in Not Another Teen Movie. Mm-hmm. And it has truly, truly perfect lines of dialogue like, Brittany, this is not a democracy. It's a cheerocracy. I'm sorry, but I'm overruling you. I unironically love that line. There are many problematic parts of the movie. I kind of still love it deeply. It's exactly my kind of camp. Do we want to get into all the problematic parts and get them out of the way? Sure. A lot of them come from repeated use of slurs. We don't need to like get into what those are, but they're pretty omnipresent. There's a lot of slut-shaming, fat-shaming, sexism, and all that jazz. I'm sure it was intended as humor, but it just kind of gross and unpleasant to watch at this point. Yeah, and a majority of the slurs are specifically against uh, sexual minorities, mm-hmm. and it's just not great. Throwing it a bone, they do give us technically two queer characters. We've got the gay one and the one the gay one flirts with. The team has uh, the gay one on, on the team. I don't remember his name. I think it's less, but I was not really sure. When I looked it up on Wikipedia, I was pretty sure I knew which one he was, but I'm not going to, like, lock in. He's the one who looks kind of like Riley from Buffy. And he does flirt with another guy at Nationals. So there is a tiny bit of gay in this movie, but not a lot. So at the time, I'm sure it was, like, notable, but now it would be just really bad queer baiting at this point. We're about a year away from Willow and Tara making out on Buffy on screen. So if this were, like, at the start of the 90s, I'd say, sure, that's pretty progressive. But here I'm like, this is... Barely enough. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Still more than the MCU. <clears throat> Sorry. But yeah, it's not much, but I appreciate that that's in there. And I appreciate that that character is consistently someone who's not okay with the, the appropriation, who's consistently kind of in the right about stuff. Yeah. At one point I wanted to give this film credit for was not making the male cheerleaders overly effeminate and making them like the butt of a bunch of gay jokes. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, in some ways they went too far in the other direction. Yeah, there's some weird toxic masculinity among the cheerleaders. Yeah, it's just not great. Yeah. But I think the biggest source of a lot of the problematic stuff of this film is the choreographer they hire. Yeah, if you get rid of him, then the movie's fine. It still has some not great stuff, but it's fine. I think that character in and of itself lowered the film like a full star ranking for me. During his scene, he lines up all the cheerleaders and just says something horrible about each one. Mm-hmm. And it's really gross, really sexist. And eh. mm-hmm. while we're on the subject, there is a bit where Missy, who's played by Faith from Buffy and is playing Faith from Buffy. Elijah Sadushku is playing the character that she always plays. Which, I mean, more power to her. I, I love Elijah Sadushku. There's a bit where she describes the gay one as being fluent and fag. And while that's not okay, there's a part where they kind of want something on a t-shirt. Like, <laughs> it is messy and shitty and 90s, and I kind of kind of love that. However, this movie does not pass the F test, where there must be at least one more gay kiss than the use of the word fag or variants thereupon. So, speaking of which, on a scale from 1 to Elton John, how much do we are we really sure that Missy is definitely somewhere on the queer spectrums? There's definitely some subtext of her being into Torrance. Mm-hmm. 
and like her kind of being jealous about Torrance being into her brother. Are you into my brother? Yeah. It's not blamely stated, but the subtext is nearly text. Yeah. Also, fun fact, Missy's brother here, Cliff, is played by uh, Jesse Bradford. Some of you may know him as the main character from Clockstoppers. I, however, know him as Joey from Hackers. <laughs> My name's Joey, but uh, I'm not an addict. Jeez. No, no, really, really, really. Listen, listen, look. I'm not an addict. Which, it is weird, Joey, being able to be a, a leading love interest character in this sort of film from where he was in Hackers. Yeah. And rounding in our cast, we've got Kirsten Dunst as Torrance and Gabriel Union as Isis who are both doing a great job. Yeah, they are both really good in their leadership positions, trying to get their teams together, get them to nationals. I also really respect, there's a bit where Torrance is like, Here, I got my dad's company to sponsor you guys. And Isis rips it up. She's like, We don't need you. Look, I'm trying to be strong for my squad, okay? That's what a captain does. And she instead manages to talk a black talk show host into helping them out. And it's a subtle thing, and I really respect her conviction for that. Mm -hmm. I'm a bit of like two minds on that scene because yeah, Torrance just kind of getting her dad to sponsor the Clovers feels very white savior-y and trying to assuage her guilt. But also that is kind of effectively reparations for the harm that they caused by stealing their things in the first place. And so like I get where Torrance is coming from. I think it would have been much better to talk with the Clovers first and ask what they needed. In general, that's probably how you should approach those sort of things. Ask underprivileged populations what they actually need. Don't just assume that you know better than them. Mm -hmm. And I mean, I do appreciate that Torrance is horrified to find out that they're stealing cheers and tries to make it right in a variety of ways and is fairly resolute about doing so. She's doing about as well as I expect a high schooler to, to do in this situation. Yeah. Honestly, on a certain level, this film does work as a pretty decent breakdown of what exactly is cultural appropriation. Yeah, like this and Nightmare Before Christmas are really good, like Baby's first cultural appropriation narratives. Yes. Nightmare Before Christmas has a lot less problematic stuff, so I'd probably recommend that first. Right, but this one actually has black characters in it. Yeah, so column A, a little column B. Yeah, I think, I mean, honestly, Bring It On is a really good film to have as a discussion point for a class or for a studies thing. I think this is fairly comprehensible. Like, the plot is not too much, and while there's problematic elements, I don't think any of it is going to be horribly triggering, hopefully. I, you know, person to person. And I think it's interacting with some interesting things in terms of leadership and race and reparations and even gender and sexuality. Mm -hmm. Also, make sure that your teenagers are exposed to Elijah Dusku so they can also be gays. <laughs> I think another one of my big criticisms of the film is that we just don't get enough of the Clovers, yeah. especially during Act 2. Mm -hmm. For a huge chunk of the film, it's very much just about the Tauros and Torrens trying to figure out a way to get this team that is struggling to nationals. But this film really wants it to seem like it is a tale of these two cheerleading teams who have beef and who are competing against each other and eventually wind up at Nationals together. Even with some of the film's marketing, like it specifically has half with the Tauros, half with the Clovers. Mm -hmm. But the film definitely doesn't break down that way. At best, it's probably 80-20. Yeah, you could easily cut one or two of the Toro subplots and give that time to the Clovers and be fine. Like, I don't know if we strictly need Courtney and Whitney Torrance's sheer viziers to be there. And 
Towards his stuff with her boyfriend does have some really satisfying bits of her breaking up with him because he doesn't value her or care about her, and that's great. But we could have cut either of those bits and given the Clovers and been fine. Yeah. I don't want to cut the stuff with Cliff. Their growing relationship is actually really cute. Mm -hmm. There's a great scene of them brushing teeth at each other. It's weird how well that scene works. Yeah. I think Courtney and Whitney or the plot with Aaron are probably the best cuts to try and give more time to the Clovers. Also, literally everything with the choreographer. Yeah, yeah. Just don't. Not even once. Nope, not even once. This film had a bit too much <clears throat> plot for its own good, I guess. Mm -hmm. Or a bit too many occurrences. There's not necessarily too much plot. There's just too many plots. It, there's too many side threads yeah. that it needs to figure out what to do with as the film is entering Act 3. Because mm -hmm. you want the main focus to be on Nationals. Right. But I do like that the Toros are okay with being in second place. The so, second place? How's it feel? Feels like first. It's a good line. Yeah, I really do like that the Clovers are the ones who are able to come out in first. It kind of feels like a concession of, well, you didn't get as much screen time, so we're going to kind of throw you this bone, which is not the best. But, I mean, the Clovers worked hard to get there. They deserve it. Yeah. And I mean, I cannot evaluate cheer routine, so I have no idea if they were actually all, all that good. I assume so. The most impressive cheer move in this was the bit where Missy's doing backflips and suddenly she's way less tan and her face is blurry for a shot. That's a really impressive move, honestly. How does she do it? Another character I really love from this is Torrance's mom. I remember more so the mom. She's mostly only in Act 1, but she's the one who's getting on Torrance's case that you need to like fill out your actual course schedule and just, like take advanced chem. Mm. You know, mothers have killed to get their daughters on squads. That mother didn't kill anyone. She hired a hitman. Torrance's mom is the best. Unfortunately, Torrance's little brother is the epitome of the worst little brother in all the 90s movies. Yeah. He's another character you could probably cut. I mean, maybe not cut, mm. but we don't need as many comedy scenes from him. Yeah. So, extra innings, best training gimmick and best training montage, which has the better of both? Best training gimmick. Bring It On doesn't really have any training gimmicks. It's just like actual training. Like they need to dance and gymnastics and get all their coordination down. Whereas Cool Runnings has Herb shoving Sanka into a ice cream truck to build up tolerance to the cold weather. That's probably not okay. <laughs> I'm not sure what OSHA rule that violates, but it probably should violate one of them. I will say that, like, studying mime is probably a training gimmick. I'll, I'll count that as a training gimmick. And these are both, like, joke things, and sticking Sanka in an ice cream truck was funnier. So yeah. I guess I'll give it to that one. Mm -hmm. How about training montages? So I think the training montages are better in Bring It On, specifically because there's a lot more variety of what's going on. Mm -hmm. Like, Cool Runnings has them doing some pull-ups and some running and practicing with the bobsled and whatnot. But I think a lot of the montages for Bring It On are much more dynamic and much more interesting. Mm -hmm. And there's that very good bit where they're talking about different forms of dance they're going to study and Missy is practicing martial arts. And we're like, oh, she just didn't want to learn some dances, so she just decided to do some karate for a little bit. Fair enough. Mm -hmm. Also, I think the training montage and Bring It On is a little bit more useful because... I understand what you need to do to do cheerleading. There's coordination, muscle strength, timing, all that jazz. I don't quite understand why the skills they're building in Cool Runnings 
equal better doing a bobsledding because I don't fully understand what the sport requires beyond knowing how to tilt at the right time as everybody else. This might just be because I don't know a lot about sport things and bobsledding is very foreign to me so I don't understand it very well. So there wasn't a full comprehension of why what they're doing mattered. Uh, whereas it was just a little more clear with Bring It On, if only because it's a more comprehensible thing. Mm-hmm. By the end of the film, I got what, more of what was going on, but not for some of the opening stuff. Fair enough. But while they're tied for the extra innings, I think it's pretty clear that Cool Runnings is going to run ahead. Yeah, I enjoyed lots of Bring It On, but there are so many problematic parts of it that I just couldn't overlook. I think it was, if it was up against a worse film, it might have not gone ahead yeah and the thing is like cool runnings has a complete dearth of all of this the same problems that bring it on does even though bring it on might have higher highs than cool runnings does cool runnings is very very consistently good i wouldn't even necessarily say that i think cool runnings hits as many high highs as bring it on does or the amount of high is approximately equal to bring it on's high but it doesn't have all those points where you're just like oh well that's unfortunate yeah that said, Cool Running did not spawn a franchise of five direct-to-DVD films and a musical half-written by Lin-Manuel Miranda with a trans character. That's pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Bring It On has a very solid legacy. But yeah, Cool Runnings will be heading into the next round up against Eddie the Eagle. So we'll have a uh, Calgary showdown for episode nine. That's a good name for an album. But before then, what you can expect from next episode is going to be our... Football fight. Oh, yes. We will have Remember the Titans versus Bend It Like Beckham. Two perhaps opposite poles of the films on our bracket, really. Yeah. I think we're just going to have to consistently use football the entire episode and... And you can figure it out on your own. You're competent. You're adults. Yeah. Our international and domestic audiences are both going to have to deal with that confusion. Oh, well. Yep. I mean, I guess we could call it American football if we needed to. That gets wordy. Yes. American rugby. Less syllables. <laughs> anyway. Thanks for tuning in for another episode. If you want to make sure to catch all of our future episodes, be sure to follow us on Twitter, Facebook, Podbean, and Spotify. But until then, this has been the Gratuitous Pausing Podcast. Thanks for tuning in.